Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. up for that, sorry. Oh, yeah. But introduce our guest to us. I mean, I barely got to meet him before the show, so give him the introduction. My guest this evening with us is Jay Keevney, a very good friend of mine who is a virtual walking encyclopedia of entertainment knowledge. Hello, Jay. Good evening. <laughs> so there you have it. And, uh, I'm sorry Oprah canceled, but she she's on a book tour, so she won't be with us tonight. Uh, CBS Late Maybe Movie started in 1968, right? Jay? No. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. No, I'm sorry, I apologize. After that, they had, um, they had signed Merv Griffin to do a talk show to compete with John Carson and Merv was not suited for that kind of audience. Um, you know, Merv's idea of a good interview was asking Shaja Gabor what he had for lunch. <laughs> he did kind of yeah. stink, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And I don't believe Merv ever had a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> and they they needed to replace him very quickly. And they ended up going with the late movie, which was, you know, cheap to put on, and it was good counter programming for the talk shows. Yes, it um, began airing in 1972, according February, to Valentine's Day, 1972. February 14, 1972. Correct. That's when it kicked off. What what is interesting to um, to to bring up immediately is that ABC had a similar thing sort of going on at the time called the Wide World of Mystery, 
and it featured some BBC productions, if I'm not mistaken. But the BBC it was definitely ITV. I know, I know several ITV shows. I know Thriller, Brian Clemens' Thriller was shown mm-hmm. at least the first season, and a lot of those Dan Curtis productions ended up um, ended up airing. So that was my first introduction to a lot of the Dan Curtis productions. Was Wide World of Mystery on ABC, and a lot of those are out on DVD, by the way, not just the Dracula. And um, the picture of Dorian Gray and Jekyll and Hyde, but a lot of the lesser ones are available on DVD. If you know I know. <clears throat> yeah, so. The problem with that was that ABC had different themes for different weeks. Right. You now, one right. week it was supposed to be Dick Cavett, one week it was Jack Parr, one right. week it was The Wide World of Mystery, and the, the fourth week was, you know, anything they decided to throw on. But you never knew from week to week what you were going to get. No, not at all. There was no consistency. And uh, I'm, Go ahead. I'm making noise, guys, because I'm cooking dinner. I apologize if you hear it in the background. So, and go ahead. in 1972. Was that right after Dark Shadows ended? I know the movies are already out. About a the year dir- or so after the second movie. Okay. But it's, but the Dark Shadows films premiered on American television on the CBS late night movie, and that's, that's where crazy. I saw them. That's where I saw both of them, and and I was just I was stunned by it because the only connection that I had. With the Dark Shadows, I remember seeing the ads in the newspaper and stuff. I obviously didn't get to the theater to see them. But I remember um, watching both of those movies. House of Dark Shadows ran first. Actually, the audio for it is available on YouTube. Somebody has the audio from, I think, the first Mm -hmm. airing of it. Um, I was just blown away by it. And uh, it fit in well with – we've talked about this in other shows about how um, Dan Curtis was very much in touch with what was going on with the Hammer films, I think, and pumping up the blood and some of the violence and stuff. And um, it just, it it was seamless. Like, it couldn't have been a better film to just say, this fits on the CBS Late Night movie. Like, there it was, you know? Um, Grouped in with all the Hammer films and AIP films and everything that we were first introduced to on that show, you know? Yes. I'm actually looking right now to see what the what the date was for when that aired. I'm I'm very happy that the internet has provided us with uh with all of these these dates for when these movies originally aired because, you know, it, this is great. You can look back on these and see you know, kind of think about where you were at that time in your life. Obviously, we didn't have the method to track all of this. Here was stuff, uh, so. some of the big ones off the first year uh the anniversary, the Hammer film with Betty Davis. I would never have remembered that on there. That's true. Uh, I, I do February remember 15, watching 1972. Uh, February 1872 was uh, the Fearless Vampire Killers. Showing that oh. if you're looking at the Wikipedia, it actually is listing. Are you looking at the chart on Wikipedia that indicates no, the world? com. It just basically has everything. Okay, well, I'm on... Okay, I'm on the Wikipedia, and it's actually showing, highlighted in different colors, what world premiered on there. And the first American screening of the anniversary and Fearless Vampire Killers were both on the ABC late movie, as well as Trog, 
Village of the Damned, Children of the Damned, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. One of my personal favorites, The Green Slime. Um, oh, it's amazing here, all, the, all these movies. Lost Continent from Hammer. It's incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, the blood. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that on the CBS late night movie. I do. <clears throat> George what does. George, my, George who I do the drive-in with, does. Ed, she said it gave her nightmares for a week afterwards, and I'm well. Who? Gee, I have to see that. One of my cousins. <laughs> and well, I have to see this, and it's a pleasant, rather benign horror movie. The house doesn't drip blood or much of anything else. Yeah, but it's pretty lurid. It's for those of you not familiar with it. I be, is it a Spanish or Italian? I believe it's an Italian production about this. Um, this private school for kids where people are being murdered. Oh and no, isn't no, no, there... no 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 that's no, that's house... Oh, I'm thinking of the house. That... Oh, I was thinking of that. Yeah, okay. The house of drip blood. Sorry, guys. That's the anthology. The house of drip um... blood was the amicus film. <laughs> the amicus film. I'm on drugs, obviously. Yeah, I the wish one I that had the great story with John Petrie as a vampire. The house that screamed. I'm thinking of the house that screamed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the house of drip blood has the great Ingrid Pitt. And John Pertwee, who was actually Doctor Who at the time, and pretty much wore the same outfit um, to appear in the house. I can't believe I screwed this up. The house that dripped blood. And the irony about the situation is shortly before they were in the film together, both Ingrid Pitt and John Pertwee appeared in an episode of Doctor Who called The Time Monster. And, of course, Ingrid Pitt would come back many years later in the 1980s to appear in the Peter Davison episode, The Warriors of the Deep. Which wasn't a very good episode, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, I digress. I can't believe I got those movies mixed up. Well, while we're, while I'm on that subject, so when 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 the drive-in, when Super Monsterama, the drive-in show that I do with George Reese, when we did the House of Dark Shadows and Night of Dark Shadows, the third feature that night was the House of Drip Blood. So it was like the best night in the world to ever be at the drive-in, and that was back in 2016 for the 50th anniversary of Dark Shadows. Yeah. So <clears throat> there we go. And that, one of the oddest of- ones I see of the first year is one that really isn't talked about that much, and that's the power with George that George Powell directed that starred George Hamilton. Yeah, I see that. Was that supposed to be a spinoff for a TV series? No, was that that, one the he was trying was... to create a movie series like uh, the Toho Espy series. You know? <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> right, like, I remember uh, that. X-Files. Right, that's a rare movie. You get points for that one. Have you seen Espy, mm-hmm. the Toho production? No, that one's hard to find. I have it. I have a copy of it. I have a friend from Japan that um, that actually dubbed all those off on Laserdisc back in the early 2000s, and I he gave me a, all of them. He gave me SP Human Vapor, um, the H Man, all the stuff at the time that wasn't available. So, yeah, very cool. But anyway, um, go ahead. One of my favorites was uh, another anthology film called Asylum. Yes, from Amicus as well. Yes, it has one of the best casts ever assembled for this kind of stuff. Uh, Charlotte Rampling, Britt Eklund, uh, Barbara Parkin, um, Herbert Herbert Long. Long. 
Robert Powell. And it's very, very clever. Didn't we? I, I'm, I'm while you guys are talking about this, I'm trying to see if how the House of Scream aired on there. I think it did. It did. did it? It did. Yeah. I thought it did. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. We've shown that to drive into. We closed off one night, one of the weekends. That was the last film that we showed, and it was actually really foggy that night, and people were just eating it up. So, but yeah, okay, cool. Um, so, you know, what inspired, I think, you know, George will be with us in two weeks on this show, and he's the uh, the um, creator um, of uh, the drive-in show Super Monsterama, which I do with him every September, and April Ghouls, which I do every April with him. And one of the inspirations, one of the things that brought George and I together as friends, almost 16, I think it's been almost 16, 17 years ago we met each other. It's hard to believe because this will be the 13th September that we've done the drive-in, was our love of the CBS late-night movie. It was something that, you know, for network TV to give young viewers access to all of these wonderful films was just beyond, it was invaluable because it influenced our, influenced our lives. So it, it, it was an important thing for me. That and Schiller Theater, which aired here on Saturday nights with Bill Cardill, um, was also a big inspiration, which I've said in many of these shows I've done with you, Steve. Uh, Bill was a good friend of mine and uh, sort of my, sort of the other Mr. Rogers in my life growing up. There was Mr. Rogers during the day and Bill Cardill on Saturday nights. But anyway, so... Um, if it wasn't for the CBS late night movie, I don't think that that mainstream viewers in America would have had access to all these movies by any means. Because yeah, I don't like, think some of these were in syndication for afternoon on Saturday oh, yeah. or something. Like, well, Quentin <clears throat> Tarantino's once upon a time in Hollywood came out last week, and it was focused on Sharon Tate. And I just noticed here that on May tenth, seventy two, they showed Eye of the Devil. That's oh, a yeah. wonderful film. Yeah. Yes. See, I remember seeing the commercial for Eye of the Devil when I was a kid, but I did not get to see Eye of the Devil. <clears throat> and Eye of the Devil is an absolutely amazing movie. That's something that people should really track down and and check out. It's a um, it's a it's a folk horror story with David Nivens having to return to his family's um, vineyard in France uh, because they've had a bad year, and it sort of requires a human sacrifice for the wine for the plants to grow. And uh, I think Sharon Tate is, she's opposite of who? Who is she with? David. Um, David Hammond. What's his name? David, David Hammond is from Paula. Yeah, David ha- he No, he he was, what else was he in? He was, was he in Blowout? Blowout and Deep Red. And Deep Red, right, David Hemmings. And he, the two of them together as these sort of sinister blonde, blonde locals <laughs> that have satanic powers. I just remember how wonderful that was. Sharon Tate was was uh, just beginning a great career. It's a shame it was cut short. She was beyond beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And and for people that haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's a wonderful film. I everybody that I've known seen has liked it. I'm sure there's a few naysayers out there, but. Um, 
a lot of people are afraid to see it because they think there's going to be these gruesome Manson, Manson murders. Well, not getting into any spoilers, there are no Manson murders in the film, per se. So, yeah. I, I know really, Steve... If you look at the movie she did, Sharon Tate was a better actress than her <laughs> reputation that most people give her. Oh, yeah, I think... Crap like Valley of the Dolls. She's just adorable. She's funny. I, well, and then of course they show in the movie. They they and and the Wrecking Crew was also on the CBS late night movie. I know the first time I saw those Matt Helm films was probably on on the CBS late night movie, and she was also in that as well. Um, I think because she was beautiful and blonde, and because of Twiggy at the time and Goldie Hawn and a lot of cliched blonde actresses that were working in the business, I think she got a bad rap up front, you know, with being with being the same type of person. I don't think she was. I think she would have went on to do some, some much better movies if she had, had been given the time. But unfortunately, Everybody it was cut short. Sharon adored her. Who did? Everyone who knew her adored her. They said she was very sweet and kind. Um, I'm Facebook friends with a vintage actress known, named Joanna Pettit. Yeah, I remember her, the girl with the hungry eyes from Night Gallery. Yeah. And she and Sharon were extremely close. And she was at the house earlier that same day. Wow. Mind-boggling. Yeah, Jean, her character mm-hmm. is the one that visits, visits Sharon in the movie. Right, yes. yes. She's played by, you know, Rumor Willis. Right, um, and they somehow ma- managed to make Rumor Willis look like Joanna Pettit, which she really doesn't. Well, it was good casting then. Um, how old would How old would Joanna Pettit be these days? I believe she's in her seventies. Very yeah, sweet she's, woman. She's another actress, blonde actress from the nineteen seventies. I'm looking her up right now. She just turned seventy six. Well, she'll be seventy six. Um, 77 in November, but um, she was in Casino Royale. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of movies she was in, I don't think I realized. Um, I I, I remember her, and she was married, she's married to Alex Cord. She was for a while. I didn't know that. That's crazy. So, so Joanna is English, which I don't think I also knew. Yeah. she did she am I mistaken or was she also in those Louise Jordan T V movies, Ritual of Evil or one of those? Wasn't she in one of those two made for T V? No, that, that was Diana Highland. Okay. Who looks like her? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, they both have that long, insanely blonde hair. Right. Well, did Joanna she did Night Gallery, did she do uh Ghost Story. Was she in any of those or maybe um, Sixth Sense? Uh, she's in a movie called The Evil with Richard Crenna. Yeah, I see that. I remember that film. He did I remember that. Victor Buono is the devil. I never cared for him growing up. I don't. I think in retrospect of now, I, I like him much better. But I didn't like him. She also did. Joanna also did a stint on Knox Landing, Fantasy Island, of course, The Love Boat, Charlie's Angels, um, a lot of stuff. 
There's a lot of stuff here she was in. She was on I mean, Battle of the Network Stars. Yeah, she did. Um, she was in everything. It looks like she made her rounds. More than one episode too of the Night Gallery. The girl with the yeah. hungry eyes, the caterpillar. Keep in touch. We'll think of something. She did three of those episodes. So I'm going back through time here and looking at Doctor Kildare, the Fugitive, the Doctors. Yeah, she had a pretty extensive career. She worked. Yes. She worked at TV quite a bit. So. <clears throat> I'm just looking at the episodes I'm like Jesus did CBS really Take risks with the late night movie And just showing Different kinds of stuff Well I love the fact the world premiere Trog was on there because Anybody who knows me knows that Trog is one of my all time Favorite movies Um, I absolutely love Trog (laughs) So I was I saw that on there. It seemed like it was on every other week, you know. And for a while they were they played it like once a year. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I probably watched it once a year. What'd you say, Jay? Well, while they were airing the new Avengers, yes, which I really wanted to like but really couldn't. They showed the saint too, and the new saint. You know, I have I have a confession. I never saw the original Avengers first. I actually saw the new Avengers first, so I did like it. In fact, I looked forward to it. They always showed it on summer, on summer break. So I was able to stay up late and I was able to watch it. And of course, that was my big introduction to Joanna Lumley, who I would later adore in everything she did, including Absolutely Fabulous. So, Including the satanic rites of Dracula? She has a great line in that movie where she says, she's a vampire. <laughs> 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 do you remember that, Jay? I think you do. Oh, yeah. when, she, when she's chained up in the basement and they come in to save her because she's surrounded by these, these vampire vixens that want to bite her and they kill the girl and she goes, she's a vampire. I can probably find the clip, actually, and play it on the show here before we're done. And I know all the Hammer fans, always they always mimic that that scene because yeah, it's so silly. Huh? Yeah, she replaced Stephanie Beecham. Oh, did she? Was she supposed to be in that movie? No, Stephanie was in Dracula AD 1972, I believe. Which I adore. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yes, one of my, and that, I was just going to tell you, I do, well, you guys are friends with me on Facebook, you know that once a year when, about the middle of summer, I do a week of um, CBS Late Night Movie Tributes, and my first film that I actually screened at the house was Dracula 1972 AD, so, what it's I a think beautiful about film. What I about Dracula 1872 is it has one of the best Insights ever between Van Helsing and Dracula, and it, that's it just is the good. first ten minutes of the movie. <clears throat> Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, and I just this few months ago, I actually saw Christopher Neem. I know Jay's met him. I think Chris Neem. I met him at Monster Bash, and I had never met him before, and uh, he was a lot of fun. Chris did a lot of genre films. And uh, also, Caroline Monroe, 
mm-hmm. who sat out this monster bash because she wasn't able to show up. But I've I've known Caroline uh, through the convention circuit and her daughter for over a decade, if not longer. She is one of the sweetest, wonderful celebrities you will ever meet. Um, ingratiating, wonderful person who remembers people. Because not all of these celebrities that you meet at these conventions really care. <laughs> and yeah. I know we, Jay and I have encountered a number of those. But um, oh, yeah. she's she's wonderful. Caroline is wonderful. So um, very, very nice woman. I remember Good when stuff. I met her at the time, and everybody else was charging like $20 for autographs and stuff. And she was sitting at her table apologizing for having to charge $5. She was. She was. She does apologize. The first time I met her was in Cleveland, Ohio, at um, Cleveland, Ohio, at um, Cinema Wasteland, and she was kind of sitting in the corner. I'm sorry, I'm young. It's not not the current company. And um, I went over and started talking to her, and um, she. It was a real awkward experience, and. We took photos together, and afterwards she says, you're very comfortable to be around. I I don't get that vibe that I get from fans with you. And I, I said, well, I don't give that vibe that fans give. We actually spent the majority of the time talking about Doctor Who and her the reboot of the Doctor Who series and her daughter being excited about Matt Smith becoming the Doctor because her daughter thought he was wonderfully attractive. <laughs> So we talked about that. We talked about how they she was they they had asked her to possibly be in the made for TV um, the made for TV uh, Doctor Who movie, but she wasn't able to do it. The one that aired in the United States, which I do not like. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, she that's what we talked about. We talked about that. We talked about Star Crash and um, the story that she had uh, about Star Crash. If people are familiar with it, it was a um, it came out around Star Wars. I guess it was based on a comic book called Stella Star. They wanted to make it into a series. It was an Italian film. Was it Luigi Cozy or who's or who was yeah. it? Is that who yeah. it was? Well, anyway, they had this movie landed quite a few big name celebrities, but they only flew in to do like day shooting. And what was entertaining about the whole thing was. Um, I said to her, I said, why would you why would you want to be in a film like that? It seems to me like you're above that. And she said the two reasons were, one, the possibility of a franchise, and but most of all, a free vacation in Italy with wonderful food. So that's how, you know, she ended up doing Star Crash. You know, and it's all right. It's an okay movie. I mean, it's, special effects aren't good or anything, but it's kind of fun. Um, if anyone finds her attractive, she is very scantily clad in that film. That's for sure. So, plenty of uh, bikini shots. My favorite B actors from the seventies, the great Marjo Gortner. In uh, Star Crash. Yeah. I'm looking Wherever up. I'm looking up Satanic Rites right now, trying to find the uh, the clip with her. But I don't know if it's on if it's on YouTube or not. But and then of course, um, 
you know, it was the introduction to the AIP films on, on the CBS Late Night Movie. And there were films like Battle Beneath the Earth, some really interesting sci-fi films that showed up there. It was the first place I had seen the Japanese-Italian-American co-production, The Green Slime, which I adore to this day. In fact, they played The Green Slime quite often. Um, Beware the Blob was the first place I saw mm-hmm. Beware the Blob, which is which is a really low-budget Jack Harris sequel to the original Blob featuring so many celebrities. Um, Cindy Williams is in it. Larry Hagman's in it. I mean, the list goes on and on. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Larry Hagman directed it. Yeah, uh, that's how they got it made is Larry Hagman wanted to direct it. And he could get in, like, uh, what's his name from... Uh, and then I heard not too long ago, a few years ago, that Larry was stoned, that the whole the whole cast was high during the entire production. That, you know, they were behind on their shooting and everything because they were they were always stoned. Um, it's not a bad movie, a, a drive-in movie overall. You can't compare it to the original classic film. But when it came out on Blu-ray... Um, there had been some significant work done to the negative from Kino Lorber, and it's very, very nice. And it, it gave me a newfound respect for the clunky film, which, by the way, again, as I said with um, the new Avengers, I saw Beware the Blob before I saw the original, because it didn't seem to be it didn't seem to be in syndication very much when I was a kid, at least not in the Pittsburgh area. You know, I, I didn't see it. They showed it in New York all the time. Did they really see? We didn't have it that yeah. often here, so I didn't and see the blob until later. One of my favorite later. bad movies, which I watched about two or three times as a kid, they played on the CBS Late Movie, and that would be Doctor Faustus with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Oh, God. I remember that playing on there. Yeah. God, that movie was bad, but it's so much fun. Looking at them overact. <coughs> Now, speaking of doctors, both of the Doctor Five films with Vincent Price and yeah. Valerie Kemp, and also Caroline Monroe as uh, Five's wife Victoria, which um, she was—I think she she's not credited. Is she credited in the films as no. being? No, I didn't all think they so. do is show a picture. Of her. I don't even think. I think it was even a double at the very end when you've seen her standing in the boat and her floating away of uh, Five's Returns. Well, they're, ama- <clears throat> they're amazing films. Uh, and, I, and you know what else aired there, which I didn't see it until later. I think that uh, Theater of Blood probably aired on um, the CBS Late Night movie, but I don't remember seeing it. Uh, I saw it, but not on the late movie. It aired in prime time. Interesting. See, I don't I don't recall that film until when I don't recall seeing Theater of Blood until it actually came out on uh, DVD from um, the Midnight Movie Collection. I was aware of the film, but I don't remember ever seeing it growing up. It was one of the elusive price titles that didn't come my way, you know. Yeah. Which I remember. If I'm not mistaken. I remember, you know, a family get together where everybody was discussing it. This was not the type of movie those people usually watch, so I was rather impressed. That is interesting. I found the Joanna Lumley clip now. I don't know if I can, uh, can you guys hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Help me! Help me! Okay, ready? 
Did you hear it? <laughs> yes, did you hear it? Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to go back. Listen. Help me! Help me! Stop him! That's just a pepper! Well, that's the success at all, doesn't it? She's a vampire. <laughs> Eddie, darling. <laughs> She's a vampire. Pats, Patsy, Patsy, get away from her. She's a vampire. But anyway, um, yeah, so, and I'm thinking, too, do you remember, and it was the first place I saw this movie, and I ended up getting it on DVD a number of years ago, do you remember It with Roddy McDowell? It's a golem film where there's this statue that comes to life, and he, he's, a, he's a crazy librarian, and he, he brings this statue to life, and it kills people. And yeah. It looked like either a turd or a melted California raisin. Yes, it did. It totally did. It was, it had a pointed head, like it was melted. Right. Jay, is that ringing a bell? Oh, I've seen it, but it didn't really hold my interest that well. It was it's very got, similar. That, uh, Warner Brothers booked it with its co-features when it went out to the drive-ins when they put it on DVD. Which was the Frozen Dead and It. Right, right, yeah. I, that's the way I think I have it. What, Jay? Uh, it star, co-stars a wonderful actress named Jill Haworth is in it. Yeah, Jill's in that movie. That's right. Yeah, yeah, she's it, a it, long way from Exodus in this. Well, you know, the thing about it, too, is it has the same vibe as those Cohen films. What's his name? Harry Cohen. Uh, he, every movie he made, I swear to God, had... Um, What's the British actor that, that that was in all those films? Um, I'm drawing a blank tonight completely. Um, he was Batman's butler in the the reboot of Batman. He's been oh, in... Michael Gow. Oh, Michael Gow. Yeah, and, he, and, you know, so this movie, this this It film with Roddy McDowell had the same vibe kind of as Conga or the, the Black Museum or uh, Trog, right? It was sort of a hip, trendy 70s horror kind of vibe, you know? But I don't think Michael Goff was in it. Was he in that one, too? Not that I recall. No. I'm going to Google it. I don't and think Ronnie he was in Dow it either. was playing uh, a Norman Bates who didn't cross your ass. Yeah, I mean, he, he was crazy. He was uh, he was unappreciated, um, like uh, somebody that worked in a, uh, I think he worked in a, um, I'm looking right here. I have it on now. He worked in a museum. Mm-hmm. Ian McCulloch was in it. Ian McCulloch, British actor, who was in um, the Italian zombie film, Zombie, that, you know, was Zombie 2 over there. It was Zombie for us. Ian McCulloch, he was in Doctor Who. He was in the um, Terry Nation series of Survivors. Um, he's in this film. Um, and there's a bunch of British actors that you remember from all the other ones. And there she is in the second uh Second uh, list. She's the second on the list here. Jill Jill Hayworth. And I think was she did did Jill do any of the Hammer movies or she wasn't she in any of the mystery really ones. Stupid horror movie called Horror House with the House of Haunted Frankie Avalon. Yes, I just pulled that up here. The Haunted House of Horror. And she was in. Oh, she was also in. Um, here you go. Now we're rolling with this. We got it going here. So she was in Home for the Holidays, which is a famous oh, yeah. TV 
famous uh, TV horror film. Um, she yep. was in The Mutations. With, with Tom Baker, who um, was Doctor Who, uh, and also um, Dr. Loomis was in that, Donald Pleasance. Uh, it's a movie about a guy who, uh, this evil scientist that crosses plants with people, and he creates this vampire plant man. She was also in the Hammer film, The Brides of Dracula, but she must have been fairly young to have been in that film. So she's, she's and Tower of Evil. I don't know if you guys remember this British film called, uh, it was also known as The Horror of Snape Island, Tower of Evil. It came out in mm-hmm. 1972. In fact, I just got it on, on Blu-ray. It was out of print for some time. It was released in this country as Beyond the Fog because the opening credits had a lighthouse with fog around it, which was reminiscent of of um, of the end of the film, The Fog, the John Carpenter film with... Um, with Adrian Barbota, so it was actually released in an attempt to to cash in on as sort of a sequel called Beyond the Fog. But but in reality, Horror of Snape Island is this wild Scooby Doo who done it, where these teenagers end up on this island uh, and they are brutally murdered by some sort of savage man who's been living on this island for years and there's some type of like ancient uh, Aegean curse and it's very bloody. Are you familiar with that that movie, Jay? No. How about you, Stephen? No? Yeah. Yeah, I've got the DVD, Tower of Evil. And what's funny right. is when we finally get to, get to see the killer, he looked, which one was it? Mine, my, wasn't it Michael Palin who did that? Well, That's like exactly a, who he looks like. He looks like Michael yeah. Palin as a crazy man from... from um, from Monty Python is who Python, he looks like, but he, yeah. but he he laughs maniacally and he's so damn annoying. You just wish the guy would die, you know, mm-hmm. instead of killing people. It's he's really an annoying character. Um, a rather yeah, odd, of, a rather odd piece of trivia about Jill. She was the original Sally Bowles in the production of Cabaret. I did not know that. I did. You know what? Maybe I did know that from watching. Watching Fosse Vernon, I think I may have heard that on there. It's a possibility. For some reason, I, I remember hearing that. Um, but I was going to say, which I'm trying to think what was the next thing I was going to bring up about the CBS late night movie. Um, I think too that not so, not even just those movies, but also at the time. You were talking about seeing things in prime time. You remember all these wonderful movies that were on in the 70s, like Trilogy of Terror and Don't Be Afraid mm-hmm. of the Dark. And um, mm-hmm. some of the, some of that stuff ended up on CBS Late Night Movie did not run Trilogy, to my knowledge, as a rerun. It was an ABC. Um, same way with Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which to this day is still one of the scariest films I've ever seen, the original one. I still have issues at my age, sleeping with a closet door open for fear that the demons will get me. Um, it really impacted me as a child. Also, um, another classic uh, made-for-TV movie, which ran continually, was Horror 38,000 Feet. Oh, yeah. And that was a fun one about an airplane. <clears throat> and I believe <laughs> William Shatner is a defrocked priest 
who's lost his faith, and um, there is this ancient Celtic uh, altar for sacrifice that is being transported from England to America, and it's during midsummer or something, isn't it, during one of the the Celtic holidays, the Druid holidays, and the demons become active, and they start freezing everything to death in the plane. They slowly take the plane over, and it, it starts freezing in this the the slime and lichen forms on everything and it, it it's really a scary movie when i was a kid it really scared me it was in my top 3 made for tv films that impacted my my young life you know i still to this day i i think it's scary you know people might think it's funny but i'm terrified <laughs> you know well, like, as i said i was like Teenager and adult, like, why was I scared of so many, so many movies when I was one to ten? And then I started getting the made from TV movies from when I was one to ten, and I was like, oh yeah, that's why. Well, I mean, what well, when you were, because you're younger than Jay and I, what, what TV movie did, impacted you as a child? What did you see that caused you, caused you grief? Uh, Harvest Home with my sister. That was a very creepy sexual film for NBC TV. Yeah. Because wasn't the secret of Harvest Home that they have sex with the guy and they kill him? Yeah. Am I confusing that? No, yeah. You're very right. difficult. Very difficult for kids to talk about in and school. Gargoyles. I remember Gargoyles, yes. With Oh gosh. With Doctor Hoffman, one of one of uh, Julia Hoffman as a drunken in, in the woods. It's not that Grayson Hall ever played any character, but the same character over and over again. As much as we love her, she's wonderful in that film. This tr- drunk trailer trash. Um, the sequence of her, you know, checking out Cornell Wilde is hilarious. <laughs> So I, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, Grayson obviously was financially secure. I don't know why she ended up in these movies. I, because from what I understand, from from you know fan accounts and from cast member accounts from um, Dark Shadows, you know, Grayson came across as a very elitist sort of um, intelligence. I don't want to say snob, but she she definitely had an air of. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. a sophistication about her. But why in the hell did she end up in a movie like Gargoyles playing an alcoholic woman? Why? What the hell was that about? And I remember, I remember seeing her in that and was just stunned to death because my only other connection to her at the time when I was a kid was Dark Shadows, you know? So... Oh, Helter Skelter too. That one was that aired. In, did, Helter Skelter air is a two part. I believe it aired in two parts on the CBS late night movie. Yeah, and it always was a, a TV cut, which is the one that's on TV now. Is right. uh, three hours. Right, Jay. What were you going to say? It originally aired in prime time. I saw it in prime time as a kid. But then I think it aired in two parts on on um, the CBS Late Night Movie. I swear to God, it aired in two parts, part one yeah, and part two. Yeah, it aired two parts on 
the red prime time too. I think they showed it on a Sunday. Then they skipped the night because Monday had one of their bigger shows. Right. And then they showed the second part on a Tuesday. And Steve Relsbeck is the best Charlie Manson ever. If there mm-hmm. was anybody who who played a good Charlie Manson, it was Steve Relsbeck. And of course, what is the other Dark Shadows connection to to um to Heller Skelter? Anybody? Anybody? Yep. George DeSenso. Bingo! <laughs> Who right. is from Doylestown, Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Outside of Philly in Bucks County. Um, wow. Who knew that? But, um, yeah, it's like, <laughs> does everything revolve around dark shadows? I swear to God. Mm-hmm. You know? Or so it seems. Oh, why not? See, it's one of the funnest things I have on Netflix. I mean... Facebook nowadays is watching Kevin. Watching Kevin Hayes about him watching Dark Shadows for the first time. He's Kevin, our friend Kevin Hayes is obsessed with Dark Shadows. He um, he's watching it nonstop. I mean, he is so dedicated. He is uh, already. He just started it a few months ago, and he's already passed the. Um, I think he started it. When did he start it? Like March or April, and. He's yeah. already passed um, the ghost of Quentin. He's just barreling through this thing, and he, Kevin is posting clips and talking about the show, and it's amazing. And uh, I have a friend named Jason, too, Jason Benson. Jason's probably listening to this. Jason's also seeing Dark Shadows, I think, for the first time. I think. Jason, I hope I'm not wrong if you're listening. But they're, listening to the two of them talk is really a treasure to me because I always love people's first impressions when they start watching the series, you know? So Yeah, this wasn't this the first horror slash soap opera? Oh yeah. It was it was the only one. apart from um well, I mean, I think some of the newer Jay is the soap opera expert here. Um I think um ben, some of the ben, some ben. of the soap operas recently have in the last couple of years have done Nuances of horror, but Dark Shadows was the first, obviously, to do that. Uh, Port Charles, which was the spinoff of General Hospital, turned into a vampire show, but it really didn't work very well. Yeah, I didn't get to see much of that. I, I was, I, I remember my coworkers at the time talking about Port Charles, and I kind of regret the fact I didn't follow it. But mm-hmm. um, Pass, which came along later, was what an did? odd passion. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Which was an odd blend of traditional soap, horror, and out-and-out camp. Right, right. And then, of course, the Canadian version of Dark Shadows, uh, Strange Paradise, which is long overdue for a legitimate, um, a legitimate release. I know that MPI had their eyes on getting the rights to that, but they cried poor and said that, the Canadian um, rights owners were not willing to give it up for the price that they wanted to pay for it. And in hindsight, that's just crazy because, you know, MP, MPI is kind of tapped out now. There isn't much left to do with Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting the rights to Strange Paradise, which, of course, there were crossover writers. Am I correct, Jay, with, uh, oh, yeah. with Strange Paradise? Um, it, it shared writers. Robert exactly. Costello was the producer later in the run. Right, right. 
you know, they published a couple of Strange Paradise novels that mimic the Dark Shadows paperback. Right. Have, Steve, have you seen Strange Paradise? No. I need to. You should, you, you should, you should check it out. It's, it's interesting. It's about a family, a wealthy family that lives in a castle um, on an island in the Caribbean. And um, it, it's a very, the characters are very similar in structure to the characters from Dark Shadows, obviously. Oh, yeah. In the original, in the original run, every single character has an analog from Dark Shadows. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm really jealous of the modern fans, well, post VHS fans, because I'm of the generation where we didn't get to see all of Dark Shadows. I watched it in when it hit syndication, and they cut out the very. The first year of the show. Well, they, they didn't they, give there, you a way to keep up with it. It's like well, you're because watching, of Barnabas, in the because of, of an episode you're like what the hell? Well, because of Barnabas Collins, I mean, it was it was marketable yeah. to start start the syndicated runs with with yeah. with Jonathan Fred because, you know, Jonathan was promoting it with the New Jersey Network, and that was one of the most important returns of Dark Shadows to the to TV was when it when it came out from World Vision it was available on PBS. Mm-hmm. I was working in PBS at the time and we were offered Dark Shadows and we turned it down because the commitment was too much. We didn't want to put that amount of money out for Dark Shadows. And I, in hindsight, I'm glad that the PBS channel I was affiliated with turned it down because Channel 22 in Pittsburgh picked it up and started running two episodes a night, weeknights, 10 o'clock to 11, around that same time from World Vision, um, who was doing the syndication. And the money that would have went to Dark Shadows actually went to purchasing Blake 7, created by Terry Nation, um, the, the guy who created the Daleks. So it was a big dream of mine to see Blake 7 at the time. And um, the only place that I could have seen Blake 7 was on this PBS station. So I was glad that we decided not to run Dark Shadows because I ended up seeing it anyway. But, um, you know, it the first year just wasn't available. I didn't see the first year until I, I went out and uh, I bought all the VHS cassettes on sale from MPI before they were released on DVD. And... Um, you know, I, I recorded them all from VHS to, to uh, from VHS to uh, DVD, and then surprisingly, that set was highly collectible, and I sold them on eBay as fast as I was copying them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was able to get. I, I had my own copies of the first year. I was watching it simultaneously while I was watching the first collection set on DVD with Barnabas Collins. And the reason I did all this, because I had turned 40 that year, I had been to one Dark Shadows convention prior to that, and that was the year that I turned 40, and um, I just felt the need to to embrace it. I was looking for stuff that, Mm -hmm. from my childhood, uh, trying to catch, you know, some sort of, um, just look back on things that I was interested in, and that's how I became interested in Dark Shadows. Because it was always there with me, but it was always a vague memory of this show with vampires and werewolves. Because, I mean, I was three and four years old when it aired. You know, I I watched it, but I wasn't running home from school, you know. 
I was at home with my mom, and we would watch it in the afternoon. As soon as I heard the music, I would come running to the TV set. Mm -hmm. I probably saw, like, the last two years, maybe, I'm thinking, you know. I don't know. I go back with memories three and four years old. I can remember stuff. It's funny that um, I remember watching it on TV, and I was just amazed by it. Then I went to Woolworth and bought the soundtrack. Actually, I, I think my grandmother bought me the soundtrack. I had the Barnabas Collins games. I had the, the models. Anything that was Dark Shadows as a kid, I had. And I don't think it was so much the appeal of Dark Shadows. It was the appeal that my family was buying me monster-related stuff. So mm-hmm. if if they saw a gift, if they saw a model that had a vampire or a werewolf or something, they immediately associated it with me, and that's how it was purchased. Like the Aurora, the Aurora Monster Kits, I had all of those as a kid. Um, you know, they were great. They were great gifts. You know, I got I was I was spoiled because I was my only child. It came with a price, but I got more than other kids did. But I also worked for what I got. Like if I did work, and I would be rewarded with toys and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. if I sacrificed people to Satan, they would get, you know, they'd say, good job. And now I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, or, am so much of a... or am I Did kidding? Did Aurora uh, put out a Barnabas Col- Collins fig? I that don't know if that was Aurora. I thought those were from Polaris, Jay. What were the original? They weren't from Aurora, were they? I'm not sure because that wasn't stuff I was interested in. I think it was Polaris that did those back in the day, or is Polaris the company that put them out now? I know I had them. I know I had them. That's a good question. We should know this, Jay. <clears throat> Our points just went down in the sands. Yeah. Oh, well. But yeah. People would be um, shocked that are casual fans of it nowadays how really big it was during its prime. It was massive. Yeah. It was massive. It was a genuine pop culture phenomenon. It really was. I can tell you that as a kid. You'd see it everywhere. I liked the comics. They were they were really poorly written and drawn, but they, they had the best covers. Uh, before Whitman took, Press took them over, the original covers from Gold Key, the paintings were just gorgeous. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 amazing. So I'm looking to see now what it says. Go ahead. Yeah, I used to audio tape the show when it was on. I still have a lot of the tapes around here someplace. Um, Nothing to play them on, but I still have them. Because, you know, I thought that if I wanted to maintain this, I needed to do this. Because absolutely, this is a daytime show. I'm never going to see these episodes again. Right. Well, I agree. I'm looking right now. It's like movie too. It's like when you tuned in and you like you missed a movie. You're like, oh god, I'm not going to be able to see this again. And then if it came around again, you'd be like, yes, finally this time I want to watch it. You know what it was, Jay? It was it was MPC. MPC oh. was the company that did it, and I think MPC yeah. is the same company that put out the. There was a series of horror cars that came out that were like vampire heads and werewolf heads and a mummy head, and I think MPC put those out too. I think it wasn't MPC was more. Uh, the monster. MPC. 
Yeah, MPC was more known for drag, like dragsters, like drag racing stuff. Yeah, and they did the monsters. They were more car models, I think the military models, than what the Aurora kits were. The Aurora kits were, they did all the classic monsters. Um, they also did um, the Invaders, uh, Land of the Giants, Lost in Space, um, a lot of shows like that um, that were there were Allen Productions were licensed to uh, mm-hmm. to Aurora. So yeah, and Polaris is the company that bought the rights. So now things are starting to come into focus. <clears throat> so in addition to Dark Shadows, did you guys? Well, I know Stephen did, but I know Jay did. Did you watch um, Night Gallery? Um, I know Stephen was talking about it. Were we talking about before we came on air? Were we already on air? I can't remember about before. how the, the third season was half hour, and NBC yeah. would randomly just kind of throw them in to um, half hour time slots. Like mm-hmm. if a sporting event uh, ran uh, oddly, they would just chuck a episode of Night Gallery, and I remember it popping up very randomly when I was a kid. Um, to this day, the opening credits still give me the, the creeps. To Night Gallery, it it affected me the way it was shot, the whole style. It affected me. To this day, I still have the same feeling that I have when I watch it, and that that's and I relate that to Dark Shadows because I still have the same feeling of fear and wonderment with Dark Shadows today when I hear the opening credits or I see the opening credits from when I was a kid. You know. Yeah. I want nice to start show. when I was 13 when I started Wild getting the books. What, hold on, Jay, what did you say? I didn't realize how much the Twilight Zone fans hated Night Gallery. Well, it's a different show completely. It, it, the, show, mm-hmm. the show went AWOL uh, from being produced by Serling. He didn't get what he wanted out of it. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, the producer took over. Um, the other guy took over. I can't recall his name, and he was the one that was the major force behind it. But what I would say to those fans, you know, it was never meant to be to be the Twilight Zone, nor does it compare in any way. The Twilight Zone was more was more fantasy and science fiction, as where, you know, you didn't have that with Night Gallery. You had more horror and suspense. And mm-hmm. Night, Night Gallery is a f- wonderful snapshot of pop culture of the 1970s, like Dark Shadows is. The moment that you watch that show, you remember as a kid what people wore, just the way TV looked. TV had a certain look in that period, and those both Night Gallery and Dark Shadows are two shows that I that I totally get that feeling with when I watch. You know, it, it takes me right back. Love American Style is another one that does that. It's another show that was... Uh, was right up there um, on ABC at the time. It seems like a lot of good stuff was on ABC <clears throat> back in the day. But, right. So, Jay, what were you saying about the Night Gallery? The stories fluctuated wildly in quality. Some were yeah. scary, some were just pointless. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I guess people were so high they didn't know the difference. <laughs> no. Some of us. So I was talking on Facebook about the Dunwich Horror, which oh, yeah. was an AIP film, which uh, received a lot of comments on my page. 
Um, the Dunwich Horror reminded me a lot of, of a Night Gallery episode. And mm-hmm. one, one particular episode that reminded me of a Night Gallery was There Are No More McBains, which I think also had a, an H.P. Lovecraft theme to it. And I remember them using the same kind of chromatic, weird psychedelic special effects when the creature from the, the McBain creature was attacking uh, similar to the uh, the baby that was born um, part Cthulhu or whatever from the old ones in um, in the Dunwich Horror. The Dunwich Horror is a really scary movie. It's really evil. You know, it's it's it's, it's well. a it. What's that? It's aged well. It's a godless film. If you if you are, a, I it just you just feel like you're doomed. Like these people are doomed. To go to hell, you know, um, it's it, it, it's a very frightening film to me to this day. It's very scary. Um, Dean Stockwell's, um, you know, his abuse of um, he lures Sandra D to this to the town to to impregnate her with um, with some sort of uh, creature from another dimension, an old one manifested in our in our. Um, in our reality, and then you find out that when he was born to his mother, he had a twin who was less than human, and this creature has been locked in this, this how they maintain it being trapped in this room for decades without it killing anybody, I don't know, I guess spells, I can't remember the specifics, but um, <clears throat> that movie left left a great impression on me as a kid, it was very scary to me, very scary. You know, well, and I, I do think it is. Other well. AIP, uh, well, one of the three that AIP did that you showed uh, about two, three or four years ago, the Haunted Palace. Jeez, right. Was that a better film than when I watched it as a kid? See, yeah. I remember a lot of those. Now, either of you, I'm not looking uh, offhand here. I'm not looking at the um, at the episode guide, but am I right in thinking that the majority of those? Uh, Roger Corman produced um, Edgar Allan Poe uh, movies ran on the CBS Late Night Movie. They were on there, correct? Yeah. yeah. Most, but not all. No, most, but not all of them, right. That's what I thought, too. I, I know Turner Classics had a field day, and AMC ran a lot of them. Um, I kind of didn't like those movies growing up because I was more geared towards uh, monsters and science fiction and I, I I have to openly admit I rediscovered those films probably in the 1990s. I went back and watched them in the 90s, and uh, and really appreciated the quality, what yeah. fine production that they were. I didn't appreciate them back then, at all. Yeah, is is Haunted Palace the one with Ray Milland instead of Vincent Price? No, Haunted, Haunted Palace. Palace the one with uh, <coughs> Vincent Price based on the facts in the case of M. Valdemir. It's the one where he goes back home to the town, and it's H.P. Lovecraft's theme, and there's this creature that's that's trapped in this well or something in the basement of the house or the castle, and he turns into his evil ancestor. Am I right in that description, or yeah? Okay, you're thinking of premature burial, Jay. That's it. <laughs> Which I didn't like all that well. I didn't think it was that good, really. No, Milan is, is wrong for the material. Yeah, he really was. He, he didn't. It did not work for him at all. I agree with that. 
He was much but better in white AI. The, with the Lovecraft theme film they did right after. Uh, which is what? Burial, which is X, the man with X-ray <clears throat> eyes. Yeah, he was in the man with X-ray eyes. That's, that was all right. <clears throat> I was going to say Ray Milan was better in what AIP? CBS late night movie staple. Anybody? Anybody? Frogs. 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 Yes, frogs. Featuring tomorrow the world. <laughs> featuring Sam Elliott and his trouser python. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it's so weird looking at Sam Elliott in that movie because he hasn't got the mustache. Yeah, but... <laughs> Thanks to the internet years later, we weren't looking at his mustache. We were looking at something else that... Clearly, at sitting in a wheelchair at crotch level, I don't think Ray Milan could have missed <laughs> Sam Elliott's Sam Elliott's dangerous reptile in his pants. Um, I never noticed that years ago. Of course, I wouldn't have noticed it. But you know, I and then um, you know, I screened the movie uh, outdoors here a few years ago, and. All they wanted to do was talk about Sam Elliott's crotch. I was like, okay, guys, come on. <laughs> you know? What's yeah, funny it's, is Frogs... It's obvious he's not wearing paper. underwear. Huh? Sorry. What's that? If you look at Frogs on paper and his plot and all that, you would think that it would be a stupid, stupid movie. But then you watch it, and it's actually one of the creepiest of the Nature Gone Wild movies. <clears throat> well, two things, two things about... Now, I remember the ad in the newspaper when I was a kid, and I remember finally seeing it on the CBS Late Night Movie, and I was pissed off that there wasn't a frog, that there wasn't a frog with a human hand sticking out, unless you include the end, the end credits with the cartoon, which they, has the frog with the human hand. So I didn't like the fact when I saw it on the CBS Late Night Movie that it was all it was nature rebelling. Like I thought it was only mm-hmm. about frogs. And that kind of pissed me off. Now, over the years, with the Nature Gone Wild films, that movie, Squirm, um, Food of the Gods, Empire of the Ants, it, it, it has aged well. And, of course, don't forget, Day of the Animals, which is absolutely awful. One of the worst made for... I guess it wasn't made for TV, but I know when I saw it as a kid. No, it was made for... Uh, it's a shit film, isn't they it? They did a package. Uh, the producers, they shot... Uh, Grizzly and Day of the Animals back-to-back. Right, and I was about to say, and Grizzly. Now, Grizzly, I didn't mind. Day of the Animals, I didn't think that film was all that great when I saw it years ago. And I really, to this day, there's this scene where this guy and this, his daughter in this town, and, you know, he gets her into this car to be protected, and he's ripped apart by these these dogs. And to the day, to this day, it still bothers me. Like, I feel it was way too graphic. You know, for the time. I mean, yeah. and when I think of that movie, because of the, what's it about? Isn't it about um, something happens with the ozone layer and all the animals go crazy? And it also reminds me of another made-for-TV film, which made its rounds, called Where Have All the People Gone, which is absolutely awful, uh, where only a handful of people have survived solar flares and everybody was killed. And it's a, it's a it's another really bad film. I think Peter Peter Graves I think is in that one. It wasn't Leslie Nielsen in um, no. Day of the Animals. Oh, yeah. and 
for all you new fans, if you read Day of the Animals, they'll talk a lot about the scene where Leslie Ant- Leslie Nielsen fights a bear in his bear hand. I seem to remember something about that. Can you elaborate on it? Well, what happens is he goes crazy up there, and then he sees a bear up there, and then he just starts going, ah! Then he attacks the bear. I remember, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Grizzly have a tagline like, it's Jaws on Land or something like that? Yeah, it's Jaws on Land. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's, it's a real stellar. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It was it's it's a real stellar production. <laughs> yeah. uh, the height of goofiness in that particular genre is Night of the Leopard. Yep, good choice. I wasn't I wasn't um that didn't scare me. Did that scare you as a kid? I thought it was ridiculous. Um bunnies do, seldom look menacing. I think they. I think some of them had blood on their face. Didn't they throw blood on their face? Yeah. And yeah, but it's still, you know, they're, they're better suited, you know, to be going up against Elmer Fudd. Well, we instead did, of Deforce Kelly. <laughs> we did like a live watch on Easter Night of the Leapers, and every time they showed that scene of them jumping over that hole, which they showed about twenty times. We were all doing, we were all singing out loud the Flight of the Valkyrie every time it showed them jumping over a ditch. In slow motion, right? Yeah. Who was the actress in that film? It's Janet, Janet Lee. Lee. Yeah, that's a sad moment in her career. <laughs> and Bones Boy, too. DeForest Kelly. Huh? I watched that movie with my father. That's my fond memory of it, and it was on. <clears throat> I want to say that I saw that movie on the ABC. I want to say that it ran like in the nine o'clock to eleven o'clock on ABC before I saw it on. Um, I saw it on CBS late night movie, but I might be wrong. But it seemed like it was on every other week. I swear to God. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to think, what was another one? There was a, there was something else. Oh, and of course, The Devil's Reign, which oh, features gosh. spectacular special effects, but just just another train wreck of a of a satanic uh, '70s film. You know, not mm-hmm. really scary, just very pointless. And um, I think anything that has John Travolta in it with Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters. Was it Shelley Winters in that movie, or am I imagining? Yeah, it's Ida, Ida Lupino. Oh, Ida, Ida Lupino's Lupino, in that. Uh, right. Keenan Wayne. Uh, right. It was William Stuart Whitman. And yeah. yeah. Stuart Whitman in it too. And well, uh, Anton Lavey dancing around the set in a sailor outfit. Awful. What, Jay? Eddie Albert's in that. Oh yeah, well yeah, not a good role for him. But then again, then again, I think after working on Green Acres for as many years as he did, one would want to go to hell. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> your career is kind of cursed at that point. Um, what what else? The Devil's Reign. I'm trying to think what else was. There was another one in there that was. I don't remember seeing the Devil's Daughter with 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 um, Shelley and Jonathan Frid. Was that on the CBS late night movie? Not originally. It was an ABC movie of the week. 
I saw it as that, but I don't remember seeing it on the on the late movie. I don't think it ever aired on the late movie for sure. Um, the Devil's Reign. What was another kitschy? Of course, all these movies I first learned about in um, Famous Monsters magazine. So we're the talking Derek about Silverman. the. Sh- What's that? The Dobermans. You're breaking up, Stephen. Uh, the Daring oh, Dobermans. There you go. What, Jay? Yeah, there were two of those. There, you know what? What's his name? I think I think I saw Quentin Tarantino on Kimmel, and I think he was talking about those movies, the Doberman Gang, the Daring Dobermans. And I remember as a kid, people really thought those were great. I thought they were awful. You know, to me, they were just silly. I saw the trailers in the theater, and like, this is really bottom of the barrel. You think they were created as a result of the popular, the popular um, Disney films at the time, or something? I don't know. No, it's like Benji goes berserk. Yeah, really awful. And how about what you just said, berserk? There is another wonderful uh, CBS late night movie featuring Joan Crawford. And who was her daughter in that film? Was it um, Judy Geeson? It was Judy. I thought it was yeah. Cheeky Judy Geeson. You know, um, yeah, that was a fun film. That was a lot of fun. I, 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 and again, a Harry Cohen production featuring Michael Goff. Yeah. So, so and Congo, Congo was on there too. And Straight Jacket. Both of them pretty much had the same damn ending. It did. Yeah. Very ironic when you consider how abusive, how abusive she was to Christina Crawford. It was almost almost karma that Joan would appear, appear in two films later in her career, in both in which her daughter was psychotic and tried to kill her. <coughs> Whoops, I just gave the plot away. Oh, well. And she was so we need jealous. Tr- I wish I was pretty like you, Mom. I wish I was as sexy as you, Mom. But I'm yeah, not. well, no, I don't. I don't know what the hell she was on because that's not the case. But uh, something else. What else did I? There was another thing here that I was. That, that was another connection here. I can't remember. I'm. I'm drawing a blank. There was another connection I was going to make from something we were talking about, the dark shadows, and I can't remember now what it was. Back when we were talking about Night of the Lepus, but um, it's just a it, that's just a terrible film. So I know a lot of people think it's funny or entertaining, but I don't know that I could ever sit through it again, to be honest with you. Well, that's what I know. about uh, Nightwalkers, that bizarre one from the '90s that Stephen King about the killer cat demons. Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers, yeah. That oh, had a really yeah. great that had a great premise, but it just really went straight to hell, didn't it? With, oh God, yeah. With um, Go ahead. With Madchen Amick from Twin Peaks. Wasn't Krieg in that Alice Krieg in that film? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She wasn't as stellar as her as Ghost Story, which I think is a wonderful movie from the 1980s. Um, but ironically. There was a made-for-TV movie in 1973 with David Hedison called The Cat Creature with Marriott Hartley with a very similar plot to Sleepwalkers. 
No, you it know, was it was Meredith a, Baxter. Was it Meredith Baxter? Bernie. That's who it After was. She was billed at the time, yeah. Yeah, she looks completely different in that film. And they ran it on Comet TV not too long ago. It's another one of my favorites. Made for TV movies. It's kind of clunky, uh, but it has all the right elements. Um, what happens in the film is that there, this guy's house is broken into. There is a mummy in the house. The thief steals the amulet. The mummy comes to life. The mummy is a cat demon. And from that point on, you can guess the rest. So, and, and to stop the cat demon, you would have to put an amulet around her neck to send her back. And there's a similar ending where the door to her apartment opens up and all these cats come in and rip her apart in the end, very much the same way of what happened to the characters in Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. I can't understand why they were cat demons, but yet they were scared of cats. I mean, you would think if you were a cat demon, you could control cats, right? Am I wrong in thinking this? Yeah. Try to control a cat sometime and see how well, well you do. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's pointless. It's completely pointless. That's the whole thing. But, I mean, I don't know what the logic was, what the logic was behind that. I have no idea what the logic was behind it. But So, anyway, I want to talk before we – I don't know how much more time we have here when Stephen's yeah. kicking us off. Um, in two weeks, we'll be doing the um, annual – uh, Super Monsterama drive-in preview show, George and I and Steven, and um, we'll be talking about what is the 13th, September, the 13th Super Monsterama. People are still finding out about this event, but it's been 13 years, and this year, um, incidentally, and back in 2016, the Saturday that we did the two Dark Shadows films, we took a gamble that Friday the night before, and we did a night of Spanish horror featuring uh, Paul Nashi, who is a who's now deceased, a Spanish actor that uh, was sort of like the Lon Chaney, I guess, of of Spain. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a number of characters. He 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 was Dracula. He was Frankenstein. He was a mummy. Most of all, he was a werewolf by the name of Waldemar Daninsky. So that night, we screened several of his films. Uh, including um, one of Amon DeSorio's Blind Dead series. If anyone out there is familiar or not familiar, the Blind Dead, it's it's a it's a four film uh, run of these um, Templar knights that are zombies. They're just skeletons that sort of wander around and kill beautiful fashion models. And that night we screened Horror of the Zombies, known as uh, the Ghost Galleon. In Spain, uh, it's about these models that end up on a boat that comes through a time warp or something, and there are these zombies on it. We'll be screening Night of the Seagulls, which is the next in the line, um, this September, uh, with several other Paul Nashi films and some other Spanish horror movies. So the theme for this September show is all Spanish horror. And we're very excited about that because Spanish horror, <clears throat> Euro horror in general, Great homage to Hammer and Universal and everything, but done with a twist. So for people that aren't familiar with the genre of Spanish horror, they're not going to be disappointed if they come out because it's going to be all the elements of all the other the other films that they love from other people, other companies, countries, uh, created sort of differently, a different take on them. Um, 
especially with Count Dracula's Great Love. If you you're love a vampire that movie. Camp, you won't see that ending coming. <coughs> well, don't tell them what happened, Steve. I'm not going to tell them what happened. I'm just saying you won't see it okay. coming. You'll be like, what? <coughs> well, it's going to be a great night. There's lots of good stuff scheduled for that evening. I'm ex- and we're we're yeah. going to be screening the um the the 4K restoration of um Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. We will be the first United States theatrical venue to screen the 4K restoration. It actually screened in Canada about 2 weeks ago, but as far as we know, no other theater, especially a drive-in We'll be screening the 4K restoration except for us, and that will be on Saturday um, night. Uh, don't open the window to play before Living <coughs> right. Dead in the Manchester Morgue. It's a wonderful <laughs> movie. It's sort of the British. It, 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 it takes place in England, but it's a Spanish film, and um, it's sort of a, it's basically Night of the Living Dead. It's a, it's a really cool 70s environmental horror plot where these scientists have developed this machine that creates a frequency that makes insects go crazy and kill each other. So the premise is that instead of using pesticides, this frequency will make insects kill each other, thus protecting us from pesticides. So there's an environmental 70s kind of, you know, vibe going on here. But there are unsuspecting results the dead are coming back to life. It's reactivating the dead into homicidal killers. <coughs> and so, to bring out one a, thing, even by 1975, we were tired of all of the films that were using the Romero formula. So anything that was fresh, right? we would just go for it. Well, it's a Spanish movie, but it definitely has yeah. a British a British flavor. And it was a film that I never saw. <clears throat> I never remembered it running in syndication. It was also known as Don't Open the Window. It was also known as Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. And I think the first time it was available over here, wide wide release was through Anchor Bay, and it was called Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. That was my first experience seeing it. I didn't see the film until the 1990s. You know, it, it, it wasn't something, if it ran, I never saw it. I don't remember any... Well, it Any was on the connection to it. under Don't Open the Window. I don't remember seeing it at that at all. I don't remember running it in the 80s at all. And I rented a lot of films. That's where I first saw Burial Ground and a number of the other zombie movies. <clears throat> Actually, I saw Burial Ground in the theater. I saw Burial Ground in the theater. I saw the Fulci films in the theater. Um, sometimes they played for like a week. I think they played weekends only. Jay remembers the weekend only releases. I don't know that you do, Steve, but back in the 70s. Um, yeah, midnight movies. No, they were on during the day. They were matinees. There were oh. Godzilla films that only played Saturday and Sunday. Oh, you're talking about and, the matinees were the... Right. And sometimes the they would just... It when they started to force theaters to play their film seven days a week or else they wouldn't get the big releases. It would also do like, I think I think um, Gates of Hell was a weekend only thing. Like I think Gates of Hell played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and it was done when I saw it back in the day. Um, a lot of the movies were just, you know, they came in, they were there for the weekend and then they were out the door. They were gone. 
And sometimes they would run them, they would run them and the feature film. Like if they had a regular film, that film would run in the evenings, and this movie would run like just one show in the afternoon or two shows in the afternoon. I know they did that with the kids' films. The Godzilla movies would play Saturday, Sunday, and then they wouldn't play Saturday evening. It would just be like two shows or one show each day. And then, you know, say, for instance, The Exorcist would be the evening movie. <laughs> not, a, not a prime example, but that's where I'm going with this is how they would do it. And that doesn't happen anymore either, I don't think, as much. I mean, there are special releases now where you seems you can see everything in the theater now, sooner or later, uh, because it's all yeah. digital. But, I mean, back in the day, these movies just kind of, like, came in, they did their thing, and they were right out the door. They were gone. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of fun memories of seeing those. The weirdest double you know? feature we played at the Midnight Movie Circuit in Knoxville was the Kingston Four every Friday and Saturday night showed a back-to-back double feature after midnight of The Wizard of Gore and The Hills Have Eyes. Really? That is strange. Yeah, I never saw any of the the H.G. Lewis films until I, until they were available on cassette, video cassette back in the 80s, and I saw Blood Feast and 2000 Maniacs and uh, all those films. I saw all of them when I was in college. We used to rent like six movies, seven movies a weekend, and all we would do is sit around and watch movies. So that was about it. We were well, too young to go out. Move on Saturday night if you had cable. Right. What, Jay? They didn't do this here, but in New York, I remember they used to run horror movies all night long on the week. Okay. Like at 42nd Street? I'm sure. You know, another good another good CBS late night movie, did they not run Let's Scare Jessica to Death? Do we remember that one? Oh, good Lord, yeah. I saw it on ABC. Yeah, that was another one. It's uh, coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah, my um, local channel, 10 NBC, CBS affiliates, would show it at least two times a year. Really? For just, just like in syndication? Yeah. It was Friday night at midnight. It was yeah. just called and The Unknown was, Zone, and the package had like filmed. five films, uh... Theater of Blood, Asylum, Let's well, Get to the Dead. It, it must have been the package. What, Jay, were you going to say? Uh, Jessica was filmed here in Connecticut. Was it near you? Uh, well, it's not that big a state, but uh, Old Saybrook. So, every, so everything's near you, in other words. <laughs> uh, it's going but, towards Rhode Island. Okay. Well, you know, of course, one of my favorite films was filmed there, and, I, and we screened it at the drive-in, and that was Horror Party Beach. That wasn't too far from you. So, and I've been—I've actually gone to Party Beach. I went there after the uh, Dark Shadows get-together, whatever that—the cast reunion. Twenty, what year was that? I don't even remember anymore. Thirteen, fourteen. Twenty fourteen. I don't remember. And it was—it was fifteen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fifteen. It was an off year. Off year from the fest, so it must have been 2015. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was what yeah, we well, did. The one, what most people forget is that when the USA Channel first started in '81, '82, they were definitely the pot smoker stoners channel. Yeah, especially on the weekends with night flight and stuff. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? 
Early, yeah, there was a lot early of stuff. Early will be like noon to two will be Commander USA. And then 8 to 11 was uh, Saturday Nightmares. And then well, I know 11 to dawn was Night Flight. Well, Saturday Nightmares came on later on because USA actually, Night Flight predated all the other stuff because the USA Network didn't have a lot of syndication rights. So if I'm not mistaken, they were running sporting events, a lot of sporting events. And they had a show, a precursor to Night Flight called Radio 1990, which aired at 7 o'clock every evening and was like a video show for new wave music and for stuff yeah. like that. I saw I saw a lot of bands on Radio 1990 first, and then... Um, the Night Flight was my introduction to a lot of stuff. Night Flight was responsible for showing showing me um, the John Waters movies, um, Liquid Sky. Um, there was a lot of Fantastic stuff that they. Planet. What else? Oh, and they they did they did they showed the animated feature Fantastic Planet. Yeah, I had never seen that growing up, and I tried to watch that a few years ago, and I I still don't like it. <laughs> Terrible. The big thing that Saturday Nightmares had, and I didn't realize that it was what it was until later, was the Hammer House of Horror. Yes. Featuring Catherine Lee Scott from Dark Shadows. Yeah. <clears throat> she was in one of those. Did you know that? Somebody just ran that. Comet TV just, Comet TV just went through a stint of... Um, of running those Hammer House of Horrors. They they just aired, like I turned on last week or the week before last, and they were running those. So they were running the Hammer House of Horrors. Yeah, it's a good show. We couldn't go anywhere. We always had fun on Saturday nights. Well, did you watch the Hammer House? Have you seen all the Hammer House of Horrors, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's decent. Yeah, it's not that bad. I watched it, it a lot of them on USA, and then the rest I caught up when uh, Elvira had the Thriller video <coughs> series that right. put out yeah. a lot of the uncut Hammer House of Horror episodes. Well, what about, you know, I think, too, that I don't think Hammer House of Horrors had a hammer feel as much as I think it felt more like you know, like the Amicus films like you guys were talking about. I thought it felt more like Asylum or or The House of Drip Blood. That's what it felt like more to me, you know. It felt more like that because it was yeah. an anthology series. So to me it had more of an Amicus vibe than it actually did. Oh, it did yeah. The, um, I think they hired, uh, he might know more than me, one of the main guys over Amicus to run the show for Hammer. I, I can't recall who that would be. Milton Serboski. Yeah. I need to do mm-hmm. my research before I do another radio show. <laughs> but yeah, didn't, so. Didn't CBS late night movie run reruns of the Night Stalker? They did. That's a good point, too. They did. Later on towards the end, they were running the Night Stalker, too. Oh, I thought it was on the CBS late movie. I watched Night Stalker Live when it aired in 1970. Was it 74? It was on on either 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. I think it was 9 o'clock on on, um, ABC every Friday night. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, and another I was, good one the CBS late movie played, uh, Vampire with Richard Lynch. I don't remember that playing on the CBS late night movie. Was that towards the end? Yeah. I don't remember that. They also screened both. If you haven't seen it, Richard Lynch. I've seen it. I've seen it. I just don't remember them running it. Also, don't forget both of the the Count Yorga films. If it wasn't for CBS late night movie, I wouldn't have seen the Count Yorga movies. Yeah. (coughs) Which are wonderful, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. They are. They are a lot of fun. So, unfortunately, I didn't have. Go ahead. I would say I didn't have the privilege of getting to meet him. Uh, George did, but I did not. He passed away before I had the chance to meet him. So, George, I think George has Count Yorga photos that were that were signed, um, you know. And of course, he was also in um, he was also in the Second Fives movie yeah. and a number of another a number of other films. Was it, he wasn't in, was it Sugar Hill? Was he in Sugar Hill or yeah? Yeah. And, some piece of crap. The Death Master. That was the oh, third that, one. That was the yeah, third, that unofficial, was third unofficial, unofficial film third unofficial third Jorga film. He co-directed. Well, he was Corba instead of Yorga, and he 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 floats up on the shore in a casket, and he becomes a Manson type leader of a hippie cult. <laughs> you didn't like mm-hmm. that, Jay. I kind of like it. <clears throat> that I saw on local TV. I don't remember that either as a kid. <laughs> but yeah, that was a that was its own subgenre. He's a blank, but it's Manson. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Robert Robert Quarry. He was a wonderful actor. Mm-hmm. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I never got to meet. I never got to meet him. I think George. Did he do Chiller? Do you recall? <clears throat> was I it Chiller? None of the ones I, w- I attended. Because I know George met him somewhere. George lives in, in in Long Island, so I know George met him. I think somewhere in the <clears throat> somewhere in the New York area, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was during Chiller's uh, really prime years as a horror convention before they changed into an autograph convention. Well, yeah, but they're spectacular autographs. Jay's a regular at that, and I envy his mm-hmm. going. And there are some amazing, some amazing uh, artists that you, you know, uh, celebrities that you would never get to see anywhere else. I mean, he's Jay's been very fortunate to meet a lot of people at, at, that you yeah. would never think that you would ever meet in life at that convention. It's kind of a big deal, really, you know. Well, I'm not visiting the convention because before it was a horror convention. <coughs> Schiller was a model car convention. Was it? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's before me. I don't remember that at all. I, I know that a lot of people today that are newly turned on to the scene say, why in the hell is it called Schiller? It doesn't have any horror film people there. Well, it, it does, but I think what it's become is more of a pop culture, it's you know, a pop culture. Right, exactly. It's a it's a celebrity show, <clears throat> but you've met some wonderful people there, Jay. I mean, it's it's yeah. the it's it's the premier convention in the United States in terms of meeting celebrities. You know, yeah. the Dark Certainly. Shadows ladies were just there a couple months ago, in fact. So, 
Well, not everybody. No, Marie Wallace and Catherine Lee Scott were there. Right. Which is fun. But, you know, I never would have had the opportunity to meet, you know, Anne Margaret or Cheryl Ladd. Incredible. Incredible. You just met Cheryl, right? Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Who knew? That's crazy. Crazy. You would never suspect them to ever run into those people in anywhere, especially in Margaret. I mean, or, you know, I just saw on your Facebook page, Joan Collins was another, you know? <clears throat> she's done it several times, right? Yes, she has. And she's actually quite nice in person. I would believe she is. She strikes me as a very ingratiating person, despite her roles that she's played. She seems very gracious. In interviews, she seems very gracious. Now, her sister also was a chiller, too, wasn't she, before she passed away? Did her sister do chiller? Oh, the sister Jackie? No. Jackie, yeah. No. Really, I thought she Uh, did. The Kate O'Mara, who played her sister on Dynasty, was there. Right, yeah, I remember you met her. You got my autograph from from her for me. Yes, she was also Joanna Lumley's sister on AdFab. Yep. Who was named Jackie, <laughs> ironically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a small world of strange coincidences, of strange paradise. So, what else, what else, Steve? Anything else here? I mean, we're, it looks like we're heading uh, toward yeah, the wrap-up. Yeah, really uh, close it up by <clears throat> and I, what was your favorite of... The movie that you've seen on a CBS late night movie. Me, it probably my favorite. five double feature. I don't know if I can pick one. <clears throat> I don't know if I can pick one. I really don't know because every single one of those movies, when as a kid growing up, every every one of those films, because they would always run the commercials. You know, every one of those films had some sort of some sort of uh, was some sort of thrill to me. I would ha- I'd have to. Now, speaking right now, I would have to say Trog and Green Slime maybe were the top two, but the Fives films were really, really special to me. I remember seeing the Fives movies as a kid and just sitting there being entranced by the way that they were shot, the writing, the acting. I just thought this is – and the sets, the sets were incredible. I just remember thinking this, these movies are uh, cut above the rest, you know. Oh, and Lost Continent. That was another wacky um, Hammer film that I saw on um, that I saw on the CBS late night movie Lost Continent. And I just got it on Blu-ray, Quatermass in the Pit, also known as Five Million Years of Earth. That was a big one mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Probably one in my top top three. <clears throat> Jay, what about you? Um, let's see. Probably Asylum and House of Dark Shadows. Yeah. I swear that House of Dark Shadows had the scene where where he hung himself in the in the in the um in the 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 closet. There's a scene where David fakes himself hanging and I swear Guy and I have talked about this. I swear to this day that that version was screened with that scene in it. <clears throat> you know. Do you remember seeing David hanging in the closet? No. I swear it ran somewhere intact. I guess I'm nuts. You know? 
Well, and I always, there's always been. I think even Dan Curtis talked about in interviews how there was a longer cut of uh, how. Well, there's there are there are photographs of David, but mm-hmm. I swear I remember seeing David doing that. If I didn't see it there, then I saw it on TBS or somewhere else. I swear I've seen. The shot where he he he's hanging and he's faking a suicide, because Probably I did. <clears throat> I swear I did because when I saw it in in print the photograph I I went oh yeah I remember that I feel very strongly about this memory um, Night of Dark Shadows I didn't like it that well and I still don't like it that well compared to House and I've oh. always felt that it played like an extended night gallery episode. It just it's felt like the night gallery. It's just huh? boring. It's I find it to be an extremely boring movie. Well, see, now Guy has a different impression of that because he he and a number of other people will say that, you know, after watching it and they 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 become charmed by it. People that are fans actually there are some fans that actually prefer it over House. I don't. And I've heard that and I don't buy it. And when we screened that at, at the drive-in, people hated Night of Dark Shadows. They were heckling it. They were talking during it. They were screaming things at the at the, the, the um at the screen. In fact, I had to walk and tell one group of people to shut up. They were when they were watching House of Dark Shadows, the audience was carrying on with excitement. And then Night of Dark Shadows just lost people. It seemed to meander, and they it just lost them. You know, perhaps well, if it didn't run back yeah. to back with the first one, it may have been more acceptable. You know what I mean? They may have found it more appealing. I don't know. It's you know? very bad in It's all set up and no payoff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the payoff to me was predictable. Like I knew that was exactly what was going to happen, and that's before I even saw, before I even saw the you know the similar arc that was in the series. Um, I knew exactly how it was gonna how it was gonna play it was gonna play out, and I think mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why I don't like, you know, and people hate me for saying this, but I'm not a fan of uh, of burnt offerings at all. I can't stand that movie. Um, I don't think it's badly acted. I think Dan Curtis did a great job with it. I just despise the film, and I don't like the ending of it. And this is the same ironic twist ending with that movie, that no matter what they do, they're doomed. And mm-hmm. I just felt, I just felt like in burnt offerings they could have gotten the car and left and that would have been the end of it you know let's just pack up the kids yeah. and go that solves the whole problem don't waste you know, two hours of my life huh yeah and don't forget you, we're gonna house from the penguin you know this is what's gonna happen yeah. right and, right and don't forget they had Oliver Reed stuntman when he jumps out the window they overcranked it so when he jumps out the window it's like some Looney Tunes cartoons. Right. I was expecting the camera to pan down to the road, and you see Oliver Reed running away with a dust cloud behind him. Well, you know, again, the casting was spectacular, and it's not. It, you, I'll tell you what else I don't like about that movie is the Vaseline lens. Like that movie was filmed in a very soft sort of, sort of soft um, lens or something, where it's kind of blurry. And Dan Curtis used that in a number of his productions, and I hate that type of filming. Mm-hmm. And that just bothers the hell out of me. He did that with 
with the Dark Shadows revival, and one of the reasons why I don't like it is because of the way it was filmed. And I tell people that, and, and, you know, I get a lot of shit for it, but I just don't like the way it's filmed. It's hard for me to watch. I like crisp, crisp images. I don't like this dream-like sort of Vaseline lens. You know, and there were a lot of, like, you know, the whole candle flare. And he did that with Night of Dark Shadows, too, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was some candle flare kind of lens photography in that, too. <clears throat> but, you know... I don't know. Mm-hmm. So now you didn't tell us what were, what were your two favorite films from CBS Late Night Movie, Steve? Oh, yeah, I said. Steve, are you with us? Films and uh, <laughs> Steven, uh, damn it, yeah. wake up! All right. I, I the two it will probably be the two five films and. Uh, I'm trying to think. Probably Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Yeah, that's a movie that I didn't realize how popular that film was until it came out on Blu-ray when Dan Griffith uh, did the documentary for it. I didn't realize that that film had a had much of a following. I didn't think very much of it, so <clears throat> at all. But um, yeah, I think the five films are a really good choice. Definitely, mm-hmm. I, and I miss. I miss this type of programming today. I just think the TV has gone to hell. Um, I, I'm, I totally watch Comet TV and Me TV and all the old channels. I don't know if it's a reluctance to move forward with programming or if I just think everything today is shit. I don't like The Bachelor. I don't like these game shows. I don't like these competition things. I don't see any point in any of this this fluffy modern entertainment. It just doesn't have the meat and potatoes of the 1970s productions. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, we, we'll, we, we have these, these rich memories of these movies and these shows. And I just don't think millennials today are going to remember this stuff. You know, they're just not, you know, they're the, gener- they're the oh, generation that eats Tide Pods. Uh... And this was one of the best of them in ACBS movies because they say, it's too slow, there's no blood in it. Why can't they act like these little Romero films? And that's Shockwave. Oh, I didn't know millennials had an interest in Shockwave. Well, they watch it on, chill, they watch it on stuff like uh, uh, Chiller and the other streaming ones. Shudder. I know that that was the a complaint. Streaming networks. With and a movie that came out two years ago. How slow it is. Well, it, it, they did that with the movie The Witch. Okay, The Witch came out a couple years ago, and I, I thought it was one of the best films I've seen in decades, horror-wise. Saw it in the theater, and the general complaint, the reviews on the internet were they were saying that there wasn't any jump scares because these young American audiences are so used to, you know, loud noises making them jump and scream and scaring them in the theater, and, and uh, CGI monsters, and, you know, nuns that walk like spiders and crawl up walls and stuff. I'm so tired of that stuff. It isn't scary. It's stupid. The shock value wore off. It's not, it's not frightening. It's not as frightening as, you know, Kim Darby being drugged by, by these little demons and being pulled downstairs to this basement fireplace where they hide, you know, to this day. Or don't... zombie Nazis 
just don't be afraid of the dark. Up out from under the water. That's an amazing movie. And if you if you watch the Blu-ray for Shockwaves, if you watch the Blu-ray, and by the way, we screened that at the drive-in and in what you call the shit the shit hour. It was the last film on the Saturday night, and it was excellent space for it. Um, if you if you watch the um, if you watch the the documentary that's on the Blu-ray for that, there's a lot of interesting facts about where they filmed that movie. They filmed that movie at this resort in in, in uh, Florida that was completely falling apart. It's now actually been bought and remodeled, but. Um, they did an amazing job because you would never swear that that film was made in the Florida area. You you would have thought that they actually went somewhere in the Mediterranean or something, or the Caribbean, rather, and filmed that movie. I think some shots were done in the Caribbean, but the majority of it was done <clears throat> was done in um, was done in Florida, you know? And Peter Cushing only had a very brief role in that film. Wasn't Peter Cushing flown in to do like a day shooting or a couple of days shooting and then he was out the door. He didn't have much to do with that movie. And that was around the time that he would have been in Star Wars and around the time that he would have done At the Earth's Core as well, which is another one of my favorite drive-in movies. I saw that at the drive-in. I can't remember what I saw. I think I saw At the Earth's Core back-to-back with the people that time forgot. I want to say that, but I could be wrong. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Did that run back-to-back with that? And I think I saw Food of the Gods back-to-back with, with um, I don't know if it was Empire of the Ants or one of them. I can't remember. Those were great days. Oh, it was Empire of the Ants because I want to make it a complete Burt I. Gordon double feature, and he would make money off both films. I don't know. I can't remember. I hate the fact that I can't remember that. But I can't remember as a kid what uh, what they di- what I did, but yeah, so totally. I saw those. I saw Inferman too. Inferman played with one of those. It's so funny because we, George, I've talked to George about this, and I've looked for ads. You know, old newspaper ads have been scanned, and I can't find any of those double features. You know, from back in the day, but um, I know for a fact that I saw those movies. I saw those movies with the drive-in together, different combinations of those films. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I miss those days. <clears throat> but all right, well, I don't know if there's much more to talk about, Steve. So we want to yeah. preview what's coming up in two weeks for the Monsterama. Yeah. The big Monsterama weeks, show. Monsterama. El pecules de español, but they're in English. <laughs> It's going to be a big weekend. I'm sorry to keep coughing in your ears. I have post-nasal drip. Every time I come on your show, I'm sick. Um, anyway, it, it, it must be you. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh anyway, God. that's a joke. Uh, you know I love you. Um, yeah, so in two weeks, it'll be George and I will be talking about the 13th. 13th Monsterama, which is just unbelievable that it's been this many years, and it's getting bigger every year and growing growing stronger. Um, a weekend of Spanish horror. Um, we're going to be featuring um, the handmade artwork of Rob Floyd. I just posted Rob's stuff on the Drive-In Monsterama page on Facebook. Rob does 
these amazing um, like figures and stuff for Count Yorga and uh, remember the moon monster that was in the back of the comic books you could order the moon monster picture he's done that he's done a lot of really cool stuff he did a, some black yellow figures um, he has the rights for Frankenstein versus uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein he recreated the ring um, <clears throat> he's done a Captain Kronos the vampire hunter piece of jewelry Rob's art's incredible oh, don't think uh, that it's was all... an eyeball in that earlier today when you posted <clears throat> a picture up in the oh, I, about shit my, I literally about shit my pants when I came across his stuff at Monster Bash I was walking down the aisle. I know I recognized him from from the drive-in. He's been a he's been a loyal attendee for forever. And um, I just I wasn't there more than a few minutes. And I said, "How would you love to come to the?" Here I said, "Are you coming to Monster Rama?" And he said, "Yes." And how would you like to bring some of this stuff? I said, "I'm going to shoot some pictures off to George." And George was astounded by it. He texted right back and he's like, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." Yes, we want Rob. Tell Rob to bring stuff. So we finalized it today. Rob is definitely coming. He's going to be most likely set up outside near where George does the um, does the raffle basket, which I have no details on at this time. Don't mess with the don't mess with the glider. I'm coming there this year for the glider. Don't mess with it. Don't move. Yeah, I don't know if it'll still be there or not. So um, it'll probably get moved. I don't know. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll move his table and bring that glider back. We're going to have back all the traditional favorites for um, the fall drive-in show for the snack bar. Um, I guess they're doing Haluski again and um, all the stuff that's, I think she said chili. I can't remember. I have a list that she texted me. And the Nashville hot chicken uh, sandwich, which we introduced uh, in April, is coming back too. But in terms of new, new stuff, there really isn't going to be any new new stuff. Just the stuff that um, some stuff repeating from the from the April show because it was so successful and everybody. We got, actually got a number of um, messages through Facebook about the Nashville chicken sandwich coming back. So good, it's going to happen. And with that, um, here's a new rule this year: people, if you can, don't wait to right before the movie to get your food. Because we're pretty much oh, 100% yeah. guaranteeing of missing the first of the Absolutely. first movie as crowded as it gets. Yep, 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 yep. Everybody waits till the last minute and ends up standing in line and missing. They miss the photo op that we do, and they complain about it, and they also miss um, <clears throat> miss the movie because they they get in line too late. I mean, you know, you don't want to miss the movie you're paying to see, but sometimes – it makes more sense to go during the film to get your food because you can order your food and stand there and watch the movie. So you're not really missing the film. You might not be sitting in your car with your family or friends or your date or your monsters, but, you know, you're standing there waiting on your food, and you can wait for your food and watch the movie from the front. So that's a little drive-in etiquette, you know. Go during the film and watch it from the front. But we expect big crowds, and a lot of new people are showing up this year. We've had a lot of a lot of really nice supportive emails and questions. A number of Dark Shadows fans are coming in for this event. There's going to be a little group of DS fans um, coming in for this event, and they're staying at the old parsonage 
uh, which is in Leechburg near the drive-in, um, and it's run by a, a old-school Dark Shadows fan that used to attend the old um, the old uh, conventions. I can't recall his name. Is it Jack? Do you know this gentleman? Oh, Jay? Yeah. <clears throat> he used to work for Disney, believe it or not. His name is what? Jack? Oh, God, I... See, we're both drawing blanks. Jack, if you hear this, we both apologize. <laughs> it's 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. <clears throat> yeah. Sunday, Sundays in general are an act of desperation. It's the worst day of the week, you know. Mm-hmm. There's this bitterness of failure for what you didn't get done Friday and Saturday and the impending anxiety and fear of Monday morning. Indeed. There's no worse place to be than Sunday. <laughs> in the immortal words of Morrissey, every day is silent and gray. So I fear that or, Sunday has caught up with me. Or as Debbie Harry said, live and dream Sunday girl. <laughs> Fate caught up with several people that night. Laurie, Laurie dear. <laughs> so Stephen, I'm glad you're coming. I'm looking oh, forward to seeing you. You haven't been around for a while, so it'll be nice to see you. So. Yeah. Last two years, I've just been laying here like a addict and withdrawal, knowing that you <clears throat> said it was playing. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you weren't here. We missed you. <clears throat> but remember, this You'll year we're two weeks year. later. This week we are two weeks later because... Uh, the release of It Part 2, which we'll be playing the weekend we usually have the event and the following weekend. And it's a big money maker, and it's very popular. The Riverside Drive-In Theater sold out almost every night, the weekend nights that it played it, the original It, it was packed. So that's why we've been pushed back to the 21st this year instead of the weekend after Labor Day. So, well, that just know, sounds when, beautiful to me. I mean, well, one year we did have it. Poster. One year, a couple years ago, we did have it two weeks late. Oh, you mean this year's poster? Uh, No, I mean for just for the drive-in period. This year, come see it, part two, and then on twenty-first, come to the drive-in monsterama. It's a monsterific month. Well, the thing is that. this is it's big money for the the Riverside. It's a, that's an important release, and uh, it really brings the people out. And that means two full weekends of people there to see it that will get the advertising that we will have there for the drive-in Monsterama. So that's going to benefit us, too, because people that may not be aware of the fact that we're doing those movies – if they're if they're coming in for the movie yet, they're gonna maybe they'll come and see our show too. So it and actually if you works like out. Vampires and you haven't seen it, come see Count Dracula's Great Love. And if you like zombie films and you don't know this one, you need to come see Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. Well, you know, I said earlier when I was previewing this the show a couple of months ago. It really has everything. It has werewolves, vampires, zombies, you know. All, you can check, just go down the list and check off everything. Witches, there has to be a witch in there somewhere. There must be a witch. A sorceress, perhaps. You know, there's somebody in there. But 
the movie has the movie has absolutely everything that you want, including a lizard man. So, and mm-hmm. it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. So, <clears throat> it will be here before you know it. I got to get a drink of water or something. I'm and dying here. So. Oh, yep. good night, everybody. And hey, thank Jay, you, Jay, thanks for, for coming out. Oh, and definitely thank you. Listen, Steve, Please. thank Jay. Jay, thanks for coming. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. We'll have you back, all right? Oh, cool. <laughs> good. And thank you, Stephen, for everything you do. You're welcome, and thank for, for you the ball of for my, everything you do. For the bottom of my dark, empty soul. <laughs> I can tell okay. your soul is white. Huh? And you are good. All right. <clears throat> little dialogue there well, from Virgin Among the Living Dead. Make, let's not get into that. Get into what? What are you talking about now? You My crazy. My half white and half brown because I'm half Mexican. <laughs> okay. Well, that's an interesting okay. new fact I'll have to write down. Okay. <laughs> whatever. All right, kids. Thanks for everything, and we'll see you in two weeks. Okay. For the big show, good night, the really everybody. big show. And good night. Bye bye. That's it, man. Game over, man.